0: I now have twin babies, which I've always wanted a family so bad. And that's a huge thing. If I hadn't gotten sober, I never would have been able to continue with my fertility journey and gotten that end result that I wanted so badly. I have a much better spiritual relationship with myself than I used to. I am more into meditation and yoga and emotional health. I feel closer and more connected to myself. I'm learning to actually love myself instead of loathe myself. I'm able to work through those deep, painful emotions that I've never wanted to deal with before. And I can do it in a way that's painful and it sucks, but it's positive.
1: The holiday season. A time for family, social gatherings, cold nights, and warm fires. For many people, these moments can also be filled with alcoholic drinks in hand, and the notion is that if you're not drinking along, you're also not having as much fun. For those who struggle with alcohol and other substance use, this can be a time that can be a significant struggle where you may wish you could even avoid gatherings altogether. We are grateful to share this honest conversation about sobriety as we enter this season. Ellen Elizabeth joins us to share her journey with alcohol and substance abuse, some of her hardest moments, and how it directly impacted herself, her family, and her career. Her road to recovery is an inspiration to everyone. Especially if you or someone you know struggles with alcohol and substance abuse, this episode is a great resource to share and pass along as Ellen's story leaves us with a sense of hope, encouragement, and even resources to guide others on the recovery journey. Ellen is a 36-year-old Colorado native who is celebrating over four years of sobriety and the proud mother of twins. She lives with her family of four in Colorado Springs and currently works in corporate ethics for a well-known defense contractor. Ellen, welcome to The Third Place.
2: We welcome you to explore The Third Place with us.
1: It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered. Through challenging, challenging, empowering, empowering, and and engaging dialogue.
2: You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex
1: conversations. Thank you for listening.
2: We invite you in to the third place.
1: Well, Ellen Elizabeth, welcome to the third place.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's so cool that both you and Mary are in Colorado as we speak. Not side to side, but um, like Mary, you've been there your whole life, correct?
0: Yes, I'm a native Colorado Springs, so it's awesome to be with other Coloradians.
2: Our rare, rare natives. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we really are honored to have you here because part of your story is about addiction, recovery, and now sober living. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, that's just such a journey. Can you tell us about that journey to get to the place where you are now?
0: Okay, absolutely. Um, It was quite a long journey, and it was not only with alcohol, but started actually with hard drugs. So I was actually doing that before I even really drank heavily, all because a boyfriend got me into it. And little did I know when we met that he was actually quite the drug addict using all the time. And so he just introduced it to me and it was so easy to fall into that trap as he was my first love. And I thought that you do whatever you need to do to stay together. (laughs) So I learned a lot from that relationship, but I definitely had several rock bottoms in that time. But When I quit the drugs, I simply replaced it with alcohol. And so I thought that it was normal what I was doing. I was in my early 20s and I felt that I'd missed out on college life because that's when I had been with this boyfriend who was very controlling and I didn't really do well in college. I didn't have friends because I was very isolated, just simply home with him doing drugs or out with him doing drugs or whatever. So in my early 20s, I was drinking every day, not Always to excess, but I did just start drinking at five every night, having a cocktail, and then wine or beer with dinner. Um, I kind of was brought up in that situation. My parents always had a five o'clock cocktail, but they by no means got wasted every night and continued drinking throughout the night like I usually did. So I became the party girl, always wanted to go out and do things, and was always the fun friend that, you know. I, I just had that reputation. Um, it wasn't really getting me in any trouble. I was able to have jobs and, you know, function. And I was always very high functioning, even when I did get to my darkest drinking moments. It got really bad when I started hiding it. Um, I just needed such a high level of alcohol to get to the buzz or drunk that I needed. And I was just embarrassed. I didn't want people to see how much I was actually drinking. So I started hiding it in closets or in cupboards and cabinets around the house um, and just was on such a, a bigger level than my friends around me who would have two or three and be just fine. And I was on my eighth or ninth trying to keep, you know, keep up, so to say. And so when I got married, my husband and I started off as, you know, being able to drink together and it really got out of hand when we started trying to start a family and we weren't able to, and we weren't able to easily, I'll say. And just the stress of infertility and going through all of that made it worse, I started drinking even more, which then caused even more guilt and shame because it's like I've been trying or wanting my whole life to have a family and have children, but then I'm not even able to quit drinking in order to do so. Mm -hmm. So it just was this vicious cycle that just got worse and worse. And so that was, I mean, there'd been years before that I kind of knew I had an issue, but I was by no means ready to commit to quitting or even tell anyone, even my husband, when we had blow up fights or, you know, I got really blacked out or did things in a blackout that I couldn't remember, you know, I would drive in blackouts and, you know, I'd get really violent. Those things still didn't make me want to quit. I just felt like, oh, it was just... Because I mixed it the wrong way or I had vodka before having wine or I had tequila and vodka in the same night, yeah, you know, I would try justifications, yeah. right. <laughs> anything to justify, anything to justify it. So <laughs> it had taken me years to really get to this point of being like, oh my God, you can't even stop. Like I couldn't stop for a day. And even when we had moments where it was like, okay, you could be pregnant because you've just taken this, you know, you've taken these meds that make you more fertile and you've been timing everything properly and you're doing everything the doctors say will get you pregnant and even for those times where we were waiting to find out if I was pregnant I was still drinking so I knew that I honestly like didn't even want to get pregnant because I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to stop
2: yeah I was going to ask you if that was part of the fear right there too is that it's I don't know what a double edged sword that like all you want is to build a family. But at the same time, the being so terrified of the loss of your relationship to alcohol. Exactly.
0: At the time, I was like, I don't even think I would be able to stop or, you know, I would probably be getting four shooters a night instead of my usual bottle and, you know, just causing this child to get, you know, the alcohol Dependency. Yes, dependency. Mm -hmm. And that scared the crap out of me. So it was just awful. And I did end up having several more moments where it was just like, this should be the end, but I still wasn't ready. And it really, like my husband and I, it's like we wanted to have a family, but at the same time, he's ready to divorce me just because of how much I'm drinking. And So it was really just a really bad time and I'm still able to work and be completely functioning at my job like nobody at my job knew I had an issue and it got to the point where I was drinking in the mornings just to feel better before even going to work. So, you know, 536 in the morning, chugging vodka from the closet, just so I could get through the morning. I took my job very seriously. And I actually never did drink at work, which until the very last week that I drank. Um, So it was one of those yet moments where, you know, I hadn't done this yet but you know I'm still on my way to doing it so my last week drinking I was in a really bad place and I was drinking in the mornings and then getting it during lunch and just going throughout the day and it basically got to the point where I knew I was so drunk the last day drinking by noon that I knew there was no way I could hide it anymore and that if people came to my office they would know so I'd just immediately be terminated because that's you know a termination offense in our job. So I ended up calling my husband and saying, you know, I need you to come pick me up because I didn't have my car. He'd been driving me to work every day because he knew I was sneaking so much vodka. He wanted me not to be able to have a place to get it, even though, you know, I found a way to get it during the day anyway. I borrowed a co worker's car and was able to sneak it home. But my husband was just at a loss for what to do and he was trying his hardest to you know, pick me up and be supportive of me not drinking. And, you know, he figured, by the way, I acted at night that I was still drinking, but he was just didn't know what else to do. So he had been driving me to work that week. And I called him and just said, you need to come get me. They're going to find out I'm drunk. And just on the way home, I ended up passing out in the car. But before passing out, I said, you know, I think I really need to get help. And I just I finally was like, I think I need to go to rehab. I don't know what else to do. In my brain, I didn't even think of like AA or any of those types of things. I just thought like rehab was the thing I needed to do. And so that was the last day I was able to get into a facility. So that was on a Thursday that I had my last drink and they were able to get me into a facility the following Tuesday. So I was basically put... Like my family put me on a lockdown, took away my keys and my wallet and my car and made sure I was never left alone for that weekend and just kind of huddled up around me in support and making sure I made it through before I could get into this facility in Colorado Springs. So I went to Palmer Lake Recovery Village, which is north of Colorado Springs in a little town called Palmer Lake. So it was nearby. I was able to, to, get on the good list and be able to have visitors. And I've always been very close with my family, and they've always been my top supporters. So it was good to have that. And yeah, so I went through that for three weeks inpatient, and then three weeks intensive outpatient. And ever since then, I've been able to stay sober. So I have over four years now. And it's been amazing.
1: So that weekend, you stopped cold turkey. Before you even went into the rehab. And, I mean, were there withdrawals? Did your family have to deal with kind of that support too?
0: it was awful. Um, I didn't know that people could actually, like, get seizures and die from withdrawals. I was pretty naive to how serious it could be. Luckily, I did not have that bad of symptoms. But I did have really serious, you know, sweats and tremors and hallucinations (laughs) It was really awful just watching my family pour all the alcohol out that they found. Even in my brain, I was still like, oh, hopefully they didn't find this bottle or hopefully they missed that. I did have some at the office that I had saved there hoping that I would be able to go back and get it. And, you know, of course, I couldn't figure out a way to go get there. So,
1: (laughs) Yeah. And your family is like brothers, sisters, parents.
0: Parents. Um, I have a brother in town. And then my husband, obviously, at the time was really supportive. But yes, all my family is in town. And even my husband's family is in town. But they were kind of letting my parents step in and do everything. Wow. So yes.
1: So yeah, it sounds like being drunk at work really was that final rock bottom moment for you.
0: Yes. I have a job where I'm supposed to be the role model and I'm in the legal department as like a corporate ethics person. So, you know, it's on my shoulders to be showing how to do the right thing. And here I am a complete hypocrite, you know, drunk at work when, you know, I've approved terminations for people (laughs) when they've been the same.
2: Yeah, I kind of even like want to back up really in the beginning, though, too, where you were talking about that you sort of replaced your addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. And that I think that that's a very common thing. Like I've witnessed some of my friends or family members when they went to AA, and I'm not sure maybe you can you know clarify whether that's what you did or if that's what your community you're still a part of or not, or if it was a different school of thought, but they picked up smoking. They picked up smoking as a result, smoking tobacco and I'm and it's you know, it sounds like it started with you with more hard drugs and then you sort of replaced maybe there was a void of of emotional or self worth or whatever it was, right? That yes. or anxiety suppression. I mean I'd love to hear more like clearly there was a replacing do you did you in your recovery, what type of recovery did you do? And in your recovery were you able to identify some of those triggers or emotional needs that weren't being met? Yes, absolutely. So I did,
0: (laughs) I even thought about becoming a smoker again when I quit drinking because I was like, what is there for me? Like, I don't have anything. And it is definitely a normal thing to replace anything. But I was able to identify just this deep down self loathing and feeling of worthlessness. Even though I'm completely on the outside, you see a successful, happy person. On the inside, I just have these complete feelings of self-doubt and hatred towards myself. Very codependent, very anxious and depressed. I've always had, you know, some other mental diseases such as depression and anxiety that just drinking made drugs just made it all go away. Um, And I didn't have to think about that.
2: But then also exacerbated, right? I mean, like the day after all the hormonal shifts, and then you're just in a cycle of trying to feel that self-worth. And then it's a deep feeling of shame
0: and guilt, and it just makes it so much worse. So you're really just hurting yourself more. But in your brain, you're like, I need this to feel better. Mm -hmm. I need this to feel good about myself. And it did. I am very introverted. And alcohol made me much more outgoing. So that's been really hard. And now that I am sober, it's (laughs) been quite a transition figuring out how to be social again. I do still continue to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I have lots of online social interactions on like Facebook and Instagram groups and things like that. But AA just always, I mean, there are certain things about AA that I don't necessarily agree with, and there's certain people that take it to a whole different level than I deal with, but I'm very open-minded, and I don't think that it's the only way that you can live in recovery, but it does work.
1: I think you bring up such a good point, too, and just even in terms of introvert-extrovert, you know, our society does seem to be geared more for that extrovert personality. It's something like 70 to 75 percent of the population is extroverted, so, there is kind of this misnomer or belief that if you're sober, you can't have as much fun as other people. And on top of that, you have this introvert versus extrovert kind of conversation in your head. So, you know, what does being social, quote unquote, look like for you now? Are you able to have as much fun? How do you found different ways to have fun that usually is associated with alcohol?
0: It's been really hard. It took years well, I'll say probably two to three years to actually feel good going out to actual drinking parties where most everyone was drinking but me. It's taken, honestly, if it weren't for my husband, who's a very serious, like opposite of me, he's the extrovert. He helps me in the social settings, you know, being next to me just aiding the conversation. And that helps a lot. But I've even started asking sober friends to go with me to drinking parties, just so I at least have somebody there with me that I know is in the same boat, because I do still feel like an outcast. It is harder for me once everyone starts getting drunk. I just don't want to be there anymore. I can't relate to their conversations. It's just like that repeated, they say the same things over and over and goofy things are funnier. And I just don't relate as much. So I do have specific, not like guidelines, but you know, I always bring my own car so I can leave early. I always bring my own drinks so that it looks like I have something and people that don't know I'm sober don't make a huge deal out of it. Like I've been offered drinks and people are just like, don't you just want to sit? Like there's all these new like Truly and White Claws and all these new drinks that women are like, "Oh, this is so good. Like try this." And you know, I'm like, "Oh, I've never had one because they all came out after I quit drinking and and they don't understand why I don't want to try it." So it's just there's always something that you don't think of that happens that you just need to be ready for. And it's also good to have my friends that know I'm sober that know I mean even sometimes they don't know how to act around me.
2: Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's like uh choosing to not drink in a social environment is uh the one thing that gets questioned so often. It's like it's like why oh you must have a problem or it must be something or are you cleansing or are you pregnant exactly. like it's like it comes with so much questioning that can, I mean, already, if you're sitting and feeling of insecurity, and it's already hard for you, you're outside of your comfort zone, you're doing something, then those questions just like, add to that experience being potentially awkward or challenging when you just want to immerse and connect. Can we just get beyond that? Yes. And can we just engage? Right? Exactly. And it is sometimes I'm, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I'm super
0: sarcastic. And I'm like, Oh, well, I'd end up, you know, doing cocaine and going to a strip club and like blacking out for the rest of the night and just like seeing what kind of you know people are like oh okay and then sometimes <laughs> I'm just like at the beginning it was easy because we were still trying to get pregnant and stuff so I was just like you know we're doing fertility medications and I'm not drinking anymore
2: yeah and the, and that having something specific like that is what takes the weight off how frustrating is that yeah, though it is it's really frustrating and I just like, Nobody asks me
0: why I'm not smoking meth anymore. Like, you know, it's just (laughs) like, why do you care that I'm not having a beer with you?
2: Right, right. Why can't you take a sip? And what? like, I just, I have such compassion for that, too. And I, uh, you know, I have one of my sisters, she's choosing sober living more, you Mm -hmm. know, out of choice, which I think is really cool. There's this sober curious movement that's happening in the last couple of years. And a lot of what she's expressed that you just mirrored was that planning and that preparation and having those guidelines, those boundaries. And like, really, I think of it, like if you were a professional athlete, what do you do? You're visualizing how you're going to perform your game. So I see it as like, not, I mean, it's a lot of energy output, I'm sure, but it also is just really setting you up for success, even if it's the, but it's a lot of work up front.
1: Right. And I think it also seems like that recovery, You know, so many of the conversations are around, well, you're giving this up, you're giving this up, you're giving this up, versus there's an awful lot to gain, too. So I really would love to hear in your recovery and as you've done planning and work, what have you gained as a result? And, you know, what is the positives that we can focus in on?
0: So obviously, well, not obviously, but to me, it's obvious. I now have twin babies, which I've always wanted a family so bad. and. That's a huge thing. If I hadn't gotten sober, I never would have been able to continue with my fertility journey and gotten that end result that I wanted so badly. I have a much better spiritual relationship with myself than I used to. I am more into meditation and yoga and emotional health. I feel closer and more connected to myself. I'm learning to actually love myself instead of loathe myself. I'm able to work through those deep, painful emotions that I've never wanted to deal with before. And I can do it in a way that's painful and it sucks, but it's positive. I know how to react in situations where I used to be a completely judgmental biatch and now I can be a compassionate you know, helpful person where I view the whole picture instead of just my selfish viewpoint. I think it's changed me as a person for the better. And people have seen that change. And, you know, I'm not the one gossiping behind people's backs and being mean and malicious and judgmental anymore. I'm someone that people come to for advice and help. And I think it's just changed me as a person as a whole.
2: So beautiful. I love everything that you said. I have the chills currently, too, just because uh, just what courageous work, you know, to feel like the conversation really is all about what you lose by choosing no alcohol, you know, and that what you just expressed and what you gained is far more profound and life giving than losing some social interactions or whatever like being an introvert is not a bad thing, right? So you get to to balance out the extroverts in the the environment. But I think that oftentimes we feel like being an introvert is a bad thing. And that, like, I don't know, it's just a trippy to me. Um, I know. It is. So I've always wanted to ask this, you know, this concept of like when you are, you know, of labels, right? So Mm -hmm. you you identify or do you identify with being an alcoholic and – do you, you know, that usually ends up being where it's a title for life, no matter how long you've been sober. Like one of my favorite lyrics from Ani DeFranco's song, she says like, he's been sober for years, but they still won't let him not be an alcoholic. (laughs) Yeah. So so I'm wondering like, what's your, do you identify as that? And what's your relationship to that label and how that's perceived for your life?
0: Right. I do identify as an alcoholic or an addict. I do struggle with the stigma surrounding the labels. And I feel that so many people are opposed to things like AA, where, you know, you're in the room saying, I'm Ellen, I'm an alcoholic, because they don't feel comfortable with that label. And I think it does keep people in their addiction sometimes, like they don't want to get sober just because they don't want that term on them. I have started hearing more people say, I'm Ellen and I'm in recovery, which I think is also very strong. It takes away the alcoholic or addict label. And then you're just in this group of people trying to recover from a similar disease. But I have my own blog and website where I've written things about the stigma now that you are a sober person and the stigma around the labels of alcoholism and everything. And it is something I find Very interesting. I do think our society has the stereotype that alcoholics are these like drunk homeless people falling over in the middle of the street. And it's obviously there's people from every realm of the world, you know, high functioning CEOs of million dollar companies could be an alcoholic and then you do have the people that are currently homeless. So it's all spectrums.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I just read the other day about something called the gray area, which was the first time that I read about it, where you can be highly functioning, but you are kind of pushing into that line where you crave maybe the drink or you could have that drink in the morning, but it's not ever something to get you drunk. But it's like you are starting to get to that maybe slight version of dependence. Exactly. With that, even you you just said how do you feel like it is a truly a disease is it better to try to move away from that language or towards that language that no one is safe because it is such an addictive property to alcohol
0: right i myself truly believe it's a disease i think it's something that it's similar to having like i compare it to having cancer like you are unable to control it it's not something that you can just say oh, I'm not going to drink today, like, there truly is a disease aspect where, like, all you want to do is stop and you are unable to because of the way your brain is made and because of the level of dependency you have on it. And I truly believe there's, you know, cultural reasons that could lead to it. There's genetic reasons that could lead to it. You know, as a society, we glamorize alcohol so much that it's just, like, normal and it's in every grocery store now next to every restaurant at every restaurant there's bars you know it's just what people do and people just think it's completely normal I mean I don't know anyone that has one glass of wine you know and I'm in the wrong social circle I don't but I know don't know anyone that has one glass of wine every night and that's it like it's mm. two or three or they're not drinking during the week but they completely go crazy over the weekend. So when you hear that like for a woman the healthy amount is, you know, 5 to 8 ounces a day, when I would read that I was like, "Oh my god." Like
2: <laughs> of wine, right, yeah, exactly. Oh, not of not of yeah, not
0: of like hard spirits. <laughs> and so you know when doctors are like, "How much are you drinking?" I'm like, "Oh, just a few," but it's like a few bottles. Like I don't throw that right. in there.
2: Do you think that being that your approach is that alcohol or alcoholism is a disease, do you think that that dependency can ebb and flow? Because I've I've heard people say a lot of the time, like, oh, I did dry January, so I don't have a problem, or I'm not an alcoholic. I was able to stop. So do you really think that it's like the inability to stop or, and I think that this is the whole reason why we're interested in most people and having this conversation too, is that it is that like gray area that David said. It's like, there's not like a clear definition of what being an alcoholic or or is there, I guess. Of right, what I that don't, is.
0: I don't think it's only the inability of being able to stop because I know several of my social circle friends who I believe to have drinking problems are able to go a day where they don't drink or they drink less. I don't think it's only being able to cut back or stop, or, right. Or stop. But I mean, there's so much research and so many ways that can go both ways that I do think it's a really good conversation to
2: have and should be kind of more talked about. Mm -hmm. At least just talking about it, just being curious about it so that Mm -hmm. all of us can ask ourselves our own questions. Is your hope that in your sober living now that you can help someone maybe not get to a rock bottom experience in order to be in recovery? Is that one of your hopes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't believe that
0: everyone necessarily even reaches a rock bottom before they get into recovery. I mean, I feel like I have several more rock bottoms out there. If I were to go back out and drink, you know, my next rock bottom could be driving drunk and killing somebody. There's just... You don't know what's going to happen next and you don't know the, I mean, it is a progressive disease, they say. So the progression from what I've heard from people that have been in recovery and then gone back out, it's just within a switch. They're immediately back to where they were, you know, at the height of their disease. And they, some people don't ever get back to where they can quit a second time or third or fourth or however many times they need. Some people need to go back out repeatedly before they finally reach their final rock bottom but it's different for everyone and I think some people like I've had friends that just have you know they're in maybe like a medical field and they're noticing all this new research about it and they're like huh maybe you know my three glasses of wine is too much every night so I am going to quit completely They just notice that it's been affecting how they feel in the morning. They just don't want to feel that way. So there's people like that that are able to quit. And then there's people that are just completely, you know, where they need an entire handle for breakfast to get through the day.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely hearing you describe all of that, it does feel like that disease component where it's constantly something to struggle with. And there's lots of ways the disease can show up constantly throughout an entire week through different stages through abuse of the weekend. Well, this is prior to COVID and, and all of that. Like we've seen just how people have had a lot more alcohol consumption during that time. There was a Mm -hmm. lot more, there was less social gatherings, ironically, but more drinking as a result. Right. And so that was an interesting thing. But you know, when you were talking about the person at the party, asking you, hey, do you want to drink? You know, obviously probably very casual. I remember asking someone at a very similar situation that prior to the pandemic. And he goes, no, 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 I'm an alcoholic. I'm in recovery or I don't remember the exact language. But can you speak to me in that moment? Like I was like, oh, oh, yeah, sorry. But then it immediately became awkward for me, which, you know, this person was someone I really enjoy spending time with and I didn't want to come off as awkward. What right. what advice do you give to that person? How is a good way to respond in that kind of social setting where we still engage with that person?
0: Right. So for me, I've been in similar situations where you can just immediately feel like awkward and you don't know how to go. But you know, the more questions you, for me personally, it may be different for someone else, but I want you to ask about you know, oh, it's so awesome that, you know, what, what are you drinking now? Like, can I get you a seltzer water? Or can I get you? Do you want to meet for coffee sometime? And we can, you know, get to know each other better that way? You know, how can I help you in this situation? Or, you know, for me, I'm very open book. I don't care if you ask me about my story whatsoever. Some people may be more uncomfortable with that. But just trying to get them to know them on their level. So, I mean, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to say, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you didn't know. You have no idea that I'm in recovery. It's nothing to feel bad about, you know, asking, you know, do you want a drink? Because it is so normal for everyone to just have drinks. So, in my opinion, like, don't feel bad about asking questions or, you know, don't feel like you have to apologize. Some people, if they want to talk about it, they will, basically. I've noticed that there's more people in recovery than you would think. Even just a few weeks ago, I was getting my phone fixed at AT AT&T or something, and someone was talking And just the words they were saying, I could kind of tell that we had some similarities. And I was like, Oh, well, I've been sober for four years. And it just opened this whole conversation where they're like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, I've been 60 days or whatever. There's little things where, for me, I notice more now that I'm in recovery, and I'm able to kind of, you know, feed off that person and and get to know them better through conversation, but I mean, someone else could have a completely different story. So,
1: I don't remember exactly what I said, but I would hope that I would said, "Oh, that's yeah, cool," exactly. and then move on.
0: And that's <laughs> totally fine too. Like, we just want to hear that we're, you know, not like a black sheep. We want to hear that we're included and in normal,
2: so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we sort of wrap, like, what are some of the most important? resources, little resources, you know, that you have maybe internal resources around you and big resources that help you choose sobriety every day and that could potentially help someone listening also get that support that they need. Yeah, I think
0: for me personally having a support team around me is really helpful. People can do it alone, but it's much more difficult to stay um sober if they don't have support. Also, if you're struggling, like one of the hardest things to do is just ask for help, and that's one of the most important steps. Um like I said in my story, it was years of me kind of figuring I had an issue, but not talking about it. And then it really reached that point where finally, when I said, I think I need help, you know, that's all my husband needed to call my parents and say, we need to get her somewhere like this is what we need to do. So just even the little thing of saying I need help could start your path to getting the help you need and to being able to quit
2: um another sort of lighter question that i think is fun cuz i've found i think sometimes people are like you just are craving beverages mm-hmm. too right it's like it's a, it's there's something to be said about like just having something in your hand or like an appreciating or enjoying any type of beverage throughout the day or or in social environments. What beverages do you choose? What are your favorite beverages that you drink throughout the day? I am all about
0: mocktails when it's like evening time. I have special, like they call it shrubs that you can add to like seltzer water or tonic water that's like a certain flavor. There's a ton of non-alcoholic beverages out there now that There's different brands that I've found through social media that people talk about. And there's actually like some bars and restaurants are getting there, but mostly they just have like a mocktail recipe or mocktail drink. But throughout the day, I'm just all about my seltzer water or anything. I get so tired of water, like I'll put cucumbers and lemons and like pretty much anything in it. But like when I'm at a party, I want to have something that looks like a drink I want to fit in. So, you know, I'll bring my own mocktail to make or, you know, I'll bring recipes that I think are fun. And I Google mocktail recipes all the time. Like you can find them anywhere. Basically, just take the alcohol out.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's so true. and, And fortunately, I think the the time that we live in now, there is A, the greater awareness, and B, just so many more options. It's kind of like when I heard about people that needed to be gluten-free 20 years ago, they had a like small shelf in the grocery store, and now we have all these gluten exactly. options. Exactly. But I mean, and beverages, you know, we've talked about it often on our podcast, but beverages, a significant part of the third place, of this gray space, of human connection, beverage is just like this magic thing that unlocks it all. So... You know, to be able to have a drink that has this craft component that this handmade component, I think, is really valuable and really important. And I'll give a shout out to a company that Mary told me about also in Colorado called Hop Tea mm-hmm. that I'm like all in love with because it's tea, it's hops, it's zero calories like it, And it's a craft yeah, beverage for I sure. I love so. Hop Tea. It's one of the ones I like. <laughs> <Yay>! so <laughs> So we'll call them for sponsorship yes, of this. Yes, do episode. it. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, yeah, I I think your story is is just so powerful and so important for many to hear, and and I think to your point, it's becoming that more people are aware of it, and therefore it's safer mm-hmm. to talk about, but also probably there's that many more people that are in the closet exactly i might have an issue so i'd so appreciate you sharing your story and being vulnerable with us and entering the third place yes i loved it i had
0: a blast i i'm so excited to share my story like i said i'm very open i'll tell you anything whether you want to hear it or not so
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
2: and you're hilarious on your instagram
0: (laughs) i appreciate that i'm trying to get a following so I'm trying to be as goofy as possible and as real as possible so I appreciate
2: hearing that well you you really are and it's so authentic and look at you you introvert like clearly you know you've, you've got that fire <laughs> yep. in you like I mean <laughs> I too. so thank you so much for being here and for being so candid and, and authentic course, we appreciate thank it You be well
1: third place podcast is produced by podcast publishing house if you like what you're hearing follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms apple spotify also check out the episodes on our website thirdplacepodcast.com for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes the third place is all about continuing the conversation so make sure you follow us on instagram and facebook at third place Podcast. there you can check out our weekly co-host happy hours on igtv And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast.